All right. All right. Let's talk uh talk bourbon societies. Let's do a showdown. All right. <laughs> it sounds so ominous. <laughs> <laughs> This is episode 286 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I hope you had a great Christmas as we start leading in the new year. So before we start talking about today's podcast with Bourbon Societies, here's your weekly bourbon news roundup. Master distiller Emeritus Willie Pratt of Michter's passed away on December 27th. He was born in 1942 to a school teacher mother and a coal miner father living in the town of Hazard in eastern Kentucky. Willie set out to seek employment in Louisville at the age of 20, where he joined Brown Foreman, which paid for his education as he attended evening classes, and he earned his degree from the University of Louisville. Willie worked for over four decades in a variety of positions at Brown Foreman, where he served for a period of years on the company's committee, studying distillation, cooperage, and aging conditions. At the age of 65, Willie retired from Brown Foreman, but his passion for bourbon, it led him back to work. And in 2007, Willie joined Michter's as its master distiller, where he oversaw Michter's production until he took a reduced schedule and was succeeded later by master distiller Pam Heilman. Our condolences to the Pratt and the Michter's family. The TTV is adding new standards for fill of distilled spirits. So in addition to the standard 750 mLs and the 1.75 liters that we're accustomed to seeing, we will also now start seeing 700 mLs, which is actually a standard in Europe in addition to even more. There's gonna be a 720 ml, a 900 milliliter, and a larger 1.8 liter bottling that is now being approved. After years of uncertainty, the US Congress voted to finally pass into law the long-awaited Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, making permanent the reduction in the federal excise tax rate that is paid by distillers. This measure was included as a last-minute amendment to the much larger $2.3 trillion spending bill that will fund the U.S. government through 2021, which notably also includes a major $900 billion COVID stimulus package. The Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act originally became law in January 1st of 2018 as a two-year tax break for spirits producers, lowering the federal excise tax rate from $13.50 to only $2.70 per proof gallon but only on the first 100,000 gallons. This measure was then granted a one-year extension at the end of 2019, but there is now a permanent and fixed solution going forward, which helps all craft distillers across the U.S. Now, moving on to bourbon release news. Well, actually, there's not really a whole lot of bourbon release news, except really from us. We have Pursuit Series barrels now available on Sealbox. It looks like they did some inventory and found some extra bottles as well. There are less than six bottles left from each of these barrels episode 19, 28, and 29. We have also released our barrels within collaboration with Starlight Distillery. So episode 35 is a short barrel of straight bourbon with like less than, I think, seven or eight bottles left at this exact moment. And episode 36 is a bourbon finished in a Applejack brandy cask, which is super unique and very, very different. We're excited that we could partner with Starlight to bring these barrels to you. And last is episode 34, which is a sourced Tennessee bourbon that is not coming from Tullahoma. And it's about as dark as George T. Stagg. Seriously, you're going to be blown away by it. All of these barrels are available right now on sealbox.com and they can be shipped right to your door, so don't miss out. And besides barrel picks, societies are the next big trend. But here's the thing, they all do something different that makes them unique. And in this episode, we're joined by representatives from the Dallas Bourbon Club, the Bourbon Society of Greater Cincinnati, and COBE, which stands for Kentucky's Original Black Bourbon Enthusiast. We get a deeper understanding of how each society operates from a social, educational, and philanthropic perspective. So if you're looking to start a society or maybe just grow your own, here's a chance to listen to see how these fellas do it. Enjoy today's episode. Here's Fred Minnick with Above the Charm. Happy New Year, and we'll see you all in 2021. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. The other day, a friend sent me a forum post about me. Now, this happens quite a bit. You know, people will be talking about something I wrote or something I've said, and they'll tag me in social media. That's great. I love that. Even when they're making fun of me, I get a chuckle out of that sometimes. 
This was in straightbourbon.com. And I always tell people how important straightbourbon.com is. It is one of the most important entities in the comeback of bourbon. Before there were internet chat rooms and before there was Facebook and Instagram and we had whiskey tubers and we had podcasts, straightbourbon.com existed for people like us. It is the OG whiskey forum. It is where you went for asking questions about old bottles of Stitzel Weller. It's where you went when you heard Harlan Wheatley talk at a group and you went in there and you quoted it and talked about it. And that's where like people like me, uh, Michael Veach, Chuck Cowdery, Clay Risen, Reed Mittenbuehler, that's where we would go and huddle and, you know, talk to people. And it's really, to me, it's really, to me, never gotten enough credit for what it has done for bourbon. And although I talked about it in my book, Bourbon, the Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Whiskey, I felt like you should know. And if you haven't joined, if you haven't been to straightbourbon.com, head on over there because you're about to be schooled by some OG bourbon lovers. And I'll tell you what, their stuff is straight facts. And that's this week Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for a cool 2021 starter for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Just search for my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000273. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to an episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here tonight going live virtually, something like that. But this is going to be kind of a follow-up episode to one that we had done previously that was called Bourbon Society Showdown, where we had guests, members, people who led bourbon societies to kind of talk about their groups and kind of what makes them unique and what makes them different. And, you know, how do they try to go and attract new members and kind of how do they keep things alive? And, you know, Ryan, as we all know, you know, bourbon society is like, that's the cornerstone of bourbon right now. That's what's keeping it alive. Yeah. And uh, I guess Dallas Bourbon Club must have made the one, the showdown. The other two's died and they, <laughs> they made it through to this show, showdown too. No, no, that was, that was a fun episode. And we thought it was so good. We thought we'd do it again because there's so many different societies across the country and they do it different ways. And uh, yeah, it's just, it was really interesting episode and we thought it'd be good to do it again. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's when we talk about these, we we not only look at just how the group's different, but we look at it from a, a geography perspective as well. And we know that the types of people that are getting into these societies or people that are looking for them, uh, it might be different in the Dallas area versus it is in the Louisville or the Cincinnati area. So it'll be kind of interesting to kind of see exactly, you know, how these things are uh, progressing as well. So, yep. You ready to get on the show? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So 
Let's go ahead. We'll start with Pete. So Pete Schmidt from Dallas Bourbon Club. Go, I'll let you go ahead, introduce yourself. Of course, I already said where you're from, but our fun random icebreaker tonight is what is Pete's the weirdest from food? Houston, from doing <laughs> Dallas Bourbon oh. Club. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and then uh, our random icebreaker tonight is what's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Okay. So thank you for having me back. Um, I am sitting in Dallas, not Houston, that, that second rate city, but um, the, weirdest <laughs> <was> food, <laughs> the weirdest food that I've ever eaten was on a trip to China. I had a pickled duck's tongue and I oh. don't recommend it. <laughs> what did it taste like? Um, I couldn't get past the texture, so it was in my mouth for all of two seconds. <laughs> what I mean, does it what kind of texture is it like a like a jelly or is it like a paste? It was jelly and it was it was jelly of the jelly. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> jelly of the jelly. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And next we got Jamar Mack representing Kobe. So go ahead and kind of talk about Kobe as well as uh answer our fun random icebreaker. Yeah, so uh, as you said, I'm Jamar Mack in Louisville, Kentucky with Kobe. Uh, which is Kentucky's original black bourbon enthusiast. And probably the weirdest thing I personally eaten, because I don't like much seafood, is probably oysters. Raw oysters. I love oh, raw oysters. Love oh, I, 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 and I've I, tried them in Baltimore, New Orleans. Like I've, I've tried to go around, and it's just not for me. Yeah, my wife always said they taste like snot or boogers. And I'm like, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, not for me at all. Oh, man, I, I tell you what, if I ever see blue, blue points on the menu, give me like, Three or four shucks of blue points, man. I'm all about it. Yeah, they're solid. All right, and then Todd Carnes representing Cincinnati. Yeah, so um, Todd Carnes uh, have the Bourbon Society of Greater Cincinnati up here. Uh, we're probably unique because we straddle the river, so have some Ohio people and some uh, Kentucky people, which is cool. And I actually have one gentleman that has driven from Indianapolis for the past six years. Uh, for our meetings. So shout out oh. to a guy named Brad King, who's pretty awesome. He must but, really um, not like Indiana's Indianapolis <laughs> bourbon club. He, uh, he tried a couple out there and I don't think that they were uh, up, up to his level of what he wanted. So, um, and the weirdest thing for me was probably when I was in Thailand uh, back in my younger days for a sport, I did uh, a bunch of street food. So there's a ton of seafood on sticks and like skates and octopus and all this other stuff it was at one point we were just grabbing these sticks because we were with some thai nationals and they just said here eat this and for me i just tried to say everything tasted like chicken back then <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> what about you ryan what's the weirdest food you've ever eaten uh you know i don't have any you know weird stick animal uh things i mean it doesn't, it's not weird to me, but people might think it's weird, like frog legs or uh, I've had cow tongue, like soup or turtle, rabbit, pheasant, I don't know. But I haven't had, I haven't had like scorpion or anything crazy like, or whatever Pete had. What do you have, Pete? <laughs> a pickled duck's tongue. Yeah, I've never had pickled that. What's a, what's a uh, turtle taste like? Like chicken. <laughs> <laughs> It's in a it's in a soup, so it's like whatever the soup tastes like. I have had fried squirrel, which is you know not the best, but you know <laughs> very gamey. It's Bardstown at its finest, you know. So <laughs> I was going to say, where are you from? Freshly <laughs> yeah. shot from the sticks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, for me, I was actually at a dinner. I think it was in San Francisco, and I was with one of my coworkers, and we ordered. Uh, you know, like one of the fish and it comes like fried and it's got all the bones in it and stuff like that. And, uh, and he was like, you got to eat the eyeball. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm not eating the eyeball. And he goes, yeah, just do it. And he like grabs a toothpick and you just like, kind of like circle around like the socket and just like lift it out. And he was like, I'll do one if you do one. I was like, okay. And he did it. And I was like, I guess I got to do it now. I did. It was like this crunchy jelly substance. I mean, it was, it was definitely weird and nothing that I'm like, yeah, I need to do this again. Yeah, but hard pass. So Jamar and Todd, you know, you're both in, uh, you know, like kind of like this Louisville, Cincinnati region. So you have a, a pretty good area of people to kind of pick and choose from. So Todd, I'll kind of start with you first because, you know, Cincinnati is actually, it's much bigger than Louisville uh, in that regard. So kind of talk about what you're doing to sit there and try to, reach new members uh, and find new people. 
Yeah, definitely. So um, maybe just a quick high level background. It started as an online Facebook group and uh, a couple guys that had been going to the Louisville Society a long time ago and 2013 uh, saw what I was doing and we put our heads together and started having formal meetings with guest speakers. And at the time in Cincinnati, there was a, a bourbon bar called Old Kentucky Bourbon Bar and it was bringing people together, but there, there was a missing gap. So that's kind of why I started the group. And it just ran with word of mouth. Um, I've been fortunate to, uh, to be in Bourbon Plus for uh, an article and a couple other uh, local type things, but everything for me has been word of mouth just because I think that that's the most organic experience to bring people together is you're going to trust somebody that you know, if they say, Hey, this group's awesome. You want to be here versus, you know, an advertisement. Um, so we actually just moved away. We were meeting in new riff. Uh, we were the only group as far as I know, inside of a distillery at what point, And that really brought us a, a lot of new members. But now we're over in Fort Thomas, and what's cool is that that city, that small city, um, it's a community where everybody knows everybody, and we're starting to bring in the locals, I guess you could say, um, which is really really fun. But it's it's a Facebook group. I got over seven thousand people ish on our on our group. That's become a kind of the de facto chat for bourbon in the Cincinnati Dayton areas, and it's really just exposing people to the fact that we have a group that actually meets in person. It's not just a Facebook. Uh, platform just to show the Weller Reserve that you picked up at Jungle Gym that day. So, <laughs> so Jamar, I guess that another way to kind of look at this as well is since you're in the the Louisville area, we do have a pretty good concentration of bourbon drinkers here. I was reading a report from Drizzly that talked about how bourbon is still on a huge rise, and it said that like Louisville and Lexington is still one of the biggest markets for bourbon ordering through Drizzly and stuff like that. But, you know, I also want you to kind of talk about your group and really what makes you all different and how you are trying to attract uh, new members because you're a little bit different, right? I mean, it's, it's a black bourbon enthusiast society. So kind of talk about that aspect into it too. So I, I would think the biggest thing is, is that we actually try to function more as a social club than what would be a traditional bourbon club. So we've always said that we would have come together under any circumstance, but we just happen to be coming around with bourbon. So right now, as far as like our membership itself, it's, it's, there really is no recruitment. It's actually by invitation only. And the reason why is that when we first started membership, we opened up to everyone, anyone could join. And what we realized was, is that we only had a very small group of members who were actually participating in events. And then you would have members who would only show up for maybe the Willet tip or, you know, the, the Michter's distillery visit. But then you had the other members who were constantly participating. So starting this year, we went to a format of participation. So we didn't know COVID was going to happen, but we require you to attend six meetings or six events. And then you have to give so many service hours per year to the group, which is when we go volunteer. That's interesting. So like, kind of talk about that. I, I, I like the idea of, because I mean, you and Todd are like, it's very, very different because, you know, having that online community, it's like, yeah, let's come in. Like, let's just try to gather members versus being very specific in either who you're inviting or, uh, you know, how we can make sure that people are continually staying engaged. I think for like us, once I started Kobe and because for the first year, we only did events. So when we opened up membership, our first maybe 20 members, only maybe half of them were actually from Louisville. Our first like member actually drove from E-Town, purchased two memberships and drove back. So we realized that really our reach was much farther than just Louisville, Kentucky. We have members in Maryland. We have members in Texas. So we really tried to go after members who fit with our motto, which is come for the bourbon, save for the community. So we, you know, so it's like, do you fit more with the group more than you do just wanting to pick up bourbon? Yeah, it's a good motto. Pete, do you have a motto down there in Dallas? Um, F the Redskins. <laughs> no, it's um, our club's motto is uh, bourbon networking and charity. And that kind of outlines everything that we try to do. It's a group of people united by a love of American whiskey a desire to network in and around Dallas-Fort Worth and um, give back to the charity when we can. So kind of talk about how you all are trying to reach new people. You know, is it through online communities? Is it through word of mouth? Like what, what's the big driver to try to, you know, and, and are you always, and I guess that's a question for all of you, like 
is there a ceiling? Is there a cap that you're going for? Or is it just like, hey, we need to keep this like, as Jamar kind of said, people that are going to want to take this a little bit seriously and be involved and kind of create a more of a, I guess you can say a, a tighter knit group. Yeah. So I think the best thing that we ever did was register the website Dallas Bourbon Club. You get a lot. It's a city of transplants these days and you have a lot of people coming in and they don't know anybody. So Google has been a huge driver to our website. From there, they fill out a form. Um, and our rule, it's a lot like Jamar's. We, we want to meet you first because we really have a, a no asshole rule. We want to meet somebody. <laughs> yes. Who's Wait gonna... a minute. I'm in. I'm in there, Dallas Bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> we want to meet somebody who's not just going to like come in, grab one or two of our picks, and then we never see him again. We want somebody who's going to, you know, be part of that networking, help us pull off an event, help the logistics of a barrel pick and and the charity things as well. So I think there's a lot of commonality between between us and and how Jamar's group's looking at membership. I do love the the mandatory service hours. That's I like that. It reminds me cool. of, Yeah. It reminds me of school because I grew up, you know, doing Catholic school and they'd be like, you gotta do these service hours, you don't pass. But I like that for a bourbon club because because it's all about charity. I mean, you know, that's what bourbon clubs are for. You know, you can get together and raise some money for some good causes. It was either going to be service hours for that or service hours because you got sent to juvie. It was one or the other. <laughs> right. One or the other, yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I think what the big thing with Louisville is, is that there were already so many clubs in Louisville. So it was like at the time when I was thinking of Kobe, it was like, what are we going to do to not stand out from a like a peacock, but like, why would you want to give me your money to join my club? So that was kind of how I looked at it from the beginning was, is how can we structure this to be different, but in a, in a good way? And then once, you know, most of you guys are like, once the distilleries kind of buy into what you're doing, then that really will kind of dictate how your club will go because are you going to do barrel picks? Are you going to do more tastings? So that was kind of what Kobe's mission was from the beginning. Kind of talk a little bit more about some of like the events that Kobe's had and, and put on and whether it's, you know, you hustling to try to get sponsorships from distilleries or if you're like, hey, we don't really need them. It's nice to have them because, you know, maybe they bring some free whiskey for us. But kind of talk about like how you are uh, putting on some of these events. I mean, our first year, we, I mean, the very first event we ever did was called Books and Bourbon. And we did it at Meta, which is like a local cocktail bar. So what we did was we collected books for a program called Books and Barbershops. And then at the event itself, if you came, you could learn about like an old fashioned, you could learn about a Manhattan. So we tried to have like adult books while collecting children's books. So we've always tried to have some kind of like common what made sense to get together, but how could we also like include a charity? So we've done like digital detoxes over the summer where we would come and encourage you to lock up your phone. We would collect summer toys, but then we would have adults basically crocheting, uh, doing like cheese tastings, like things that made sense for adults, but could, could be relatable to a child on that level. Kenny would be out. You could, there's no way you could lock his phone from him. It's, <laughs> I've, I've, I've checked it 42 times. Since we've been sitting here. <laughs> Well, that and I, I don't think I've ever picked up and done crocheting either. Kind of, how did crocheting get involved here? Uh, because when we went to Odeon's, there was a lady sitting there doing crochet, and I was like, "Hey, would you want to come back in two weeks and teach like a group of people?" And she came back. <laughs> I mean, like the thing Simple was story. Here we go. When we were first doing our events, I mean, we, you know, you don't really know what you have until you know what you have. So we were just trying different events. I mean. We would we would do an event and highlight a brand and not even invite the brand to the event. I mean, <laughs> like we just didn't really know it at the time. But now we've gone more internal. And, and last year, I think we only did one or two public events, and most of them were membership only events. Wow. So Jamar, you had a put on a lot of like really good points there. And so we'll, we'll go to Pete next because you all talked about having kind of, you know, service and community as a big part of yours. So what are you doing to sit there and try to get people involved with uh, charity or anything like that? So um, we we do about one charity barrel a year where we'll get a barrel pick and mark it up. And 
you know, what we market up, we make sure to pay back our store. And then what we make in profit goes to a charity. And um, this year we were able to raise $30,000 for the North Texas Food Bank. And um, it's a hell of a barrel pick. Well, our, <laughs> you know, one of these will do it. Oh, E.H. Taylor pick, huh? Yeah, yeah. That, that's, uh, that'll, that'll have everybody chirping to buy a nice. bottle of wool in it. Yeah, and we all get one because we're on the video, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so with that comes a little volunteer aspect of we are not only cutting a check to them, we are going to be on site and help with what they call the mobile pantry, which is handing out um, food. I think it's literally loading up a truck and handing out food to some of the neighborhoods in need. Rather than them waiting in line, you go to them. We've been able to do a Habitat for Humanity home. Um, so we try to mix it up where we can with some charity where we don't just cut a check, but sometimes that's all you can do because we did donate to a hospital and they don't want us in there, probably. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want you in there delivering babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we we like to find a cause where we can put a little bit of manpower behind it, but sometimes cutting a check and letting the experts do their thing is is the best thing. Well, well, let me just say, we learned the hard way that it looks really cute to collect a bunch of books, but when you try to deliver 300 books, you then realize later on, like, oh, this is where everyone writes checks. <laughs> totally understand it. It's not feasible. Oh, it, it's, it's like if you go out and get 5,000 worth of school supplies, like, it's a great gesture, but it's a lot to handle and deal with. So I totally get the check part. Yeah, one time we, we did a raffle at our Christmas party with all the money going to Toys for Tots. And we're like, oh, it's going to be so cool to be like, you know, it's like Andre Johnson that year he had all those receipts and a U-Haul full of toys. But then it was like, what are we going to do with a U-Haul full of toys? How am I supposed to get that around town? So oh, man. there's a lot of merit in cutting a check. Yeah, I couldn't imagine doing the uh, the school supply thing, Jamar, and just be like, here's 4,000 pencils. I <laughs> I know you didn't ask for it, but here you go. So. I mean, you show up at Staples and they're actually like asking you to leave immediately. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we, we can't help you with that. <laughs> You're like, I got this much money. What's it, How many pencils does this get me? <laughs> and so, Todd, are you all doing anything, uh, you know, charity wise or trying to give back? Or is, is it more or less just like trying to find a, a group of people around, you know, just education and everything like that for bourbon? Yeah, I think our group has become more of uh, it's 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 definitely morphed into a social group. So when we got officially put together back in 2014, private barrels were still uh, a niche. You know, like there every store wasn't doing it, and allocations weren't really seriously cut. Like I think that might have been the year the McKenna Barrel program was gone, or maybe 13. And that was just a really big focus. And probably starting around 2017 or so, we really started more morphing into more of a social group of just being a place where people can go and it's it's morphed into more of a family. So I might be a little different than these guys because I have I've had a physical meeting every single month with a guest speaker doing tastings, um, distillers, historians. Fred's been up uh, to talk a couple times. Um, so my actual membership is maybe 100 people, whereas some of these societies and groups run off that Facebook platform of, you know, if you're in there paying maybe a $50 uh, dues, that's kind of your membership. So I don't really have, maybe I don't have necessarily the cash flow, shall we say, um, to really do big charity things. But we will, every December for a repeal party, we'll do, we'll do like a chili cook-off and then we'll raffle off bottles to people. Uh, we'll raffle off the private barrels, the physical barrels we have. So we'll usually do maybe three to 5,000 a year um, in writing a check. Um, but my group's really interesting because if bourbon is the focus point and, and it's maybe it's the second Monday of every month and that's like their night out with this group, but when we do other social events, uh, not as many people come. So it's it's really it's a different feel here in the Cincinnati area. What do you see in more success with? I have a, I mean, I have probably have a core group of sixty people that have been, you know, our, our members. We do a hundred hundred dollars a year is what your dues are, and it just it goes towards the overhead. It's a complete not for profit venture. Just we make sure we have payment for everything. 
stickers stickers and stuff <laughs> i've yeah. never done a sticker uh man i just i just ordered some stickers for a, a little local cost group i have on the side it's the first time i feel like i'm just selling out because i'm actually doing a sticker myself but <laughs> oh, you had, you had oh, to dang. get on at some point <laughs> yeah thank god mean, they usually get stickers and it's always making fun of me. So this is the first time I've been in charge of it. And it's a, it's an interesting experience, but um, yeah, I mean like I got probably 60 people that have been here for the past almost six years and it's like, it's a family. So if the feeling that I have is if our group was as low as 30 people, that's fine. If we get up to 250 and 300, like the Louisville group, I mean, those guys are huge, but uh, we just, we were pure word of mouth. We're organic. Um, and if I only ever get to 100, 125 people in person, and I'm happy with that because it's it's, a, it's quality over quantity, if that makes sense, at least for me, for my my approach on this. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so it sounds like you definitely take a, a, you know, a cornerstone is definitely like the education portion of it, you know, having Fred and having distillers and stuff like that around, you know, Pete, I know you all try to do stuff like that too. I believe Ryan has been to a Dallas Bourbon yeah, Club meeting. I mean- we're getting ripped off Dallas bourbon club, you know, dues are only a hundred dollars in Cincinnati. What, what are our, what are the dues in Dallas? Oh, well we jacked <laughs> no, it up to one fifty. How dare us. Oh, I know. <laughs> Breaking me over here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we do, you know, in this unprecedented time that we live in, we're doing a virtual happy hour every other Wednesday. We're trying to get somebody within the industry, whether it's on the distillery side, we've had Ryan on. It's, you know, just a little celebrity guest. We don't we don't tell anybody who we got just to uh, create a little mystery and a little uh, intrigue to get people to log on. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Uh, they, we let the guest speaker, you know, sometimes they'll walk us through uh, a tasting lineup or, you know, just give their spiel about their brand give them about 30 minutes and then thank you. It's been fun. And the members, then it turns into a normal member hangout. It's funny. He says celebrity. I had to, when they invite me, it, it was, I had to tag on to like the Greenbrier Nelson. It, it wasn't just about me. It was about them. So now I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> and he was good. He was a lot. No, of fun. he was great. No, they were awesome. I, I was impressed by them, but no, those happy hours y'all are doing are great. Oh, well, now that I'm in my office every Thursday, it's a little different element. I got a, got a hard stop at 1030, but those things go on into the wee hours. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, geez. And, and so how are you also, and let's, let's kind of like take, take COVID out of the picture. Like before then, how are you trying to get, you know, other distillers or master distillers, or are you trying to find like the balconies of the world or whatever it is that are kind of... And I'd say it's it's not in your neck of the woods. I'm just, I look at, I'm like, oh, Texas, it's like this big, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so how are you trying to get, you know, people in person for, you know, types of education seminars like that as well? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus Magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. 
Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So how are you trying to get, you know, people in person for, you know, types of education seminars like that as well? Yeah, so in person, you know, we... We do a lot of outreach to these brands and then it's kind of 50-50. These brands reach out to us as well. And, um, you know, those are fun, but it's it's really going to depend on the brand, right? Like you'll pack the house for Michter's, but you might have a tough time filling a room for for an up-and-comer. So, um, you know, we try to, we try to make it a uh, balance of people we want it. You're, you're crazy about brands that are exciting and up and comers. And um, it's a chance to work with local uh, local bars and restaurants too. So um, yeah, I think it's been, it's been good. They're not always the main events though, because they're, they don't, they come and go, right? You can't always plan on them. So we have four signature events, we call them. And then those tastings in between, because people have busy lives, right? They can't, come to every single thing you, you're able to plan. So we don't try to go too crazy on events. And so with the people that are coming, I mean, do they just happen to be like passing through that week and travel? Or are you like reaching out and saying, hey, can you fly your ass down here and speak to us? <laughs> uh, we're, we're more like, hey, hit us up when you're in Dallas. We've got, you know, a group of 150 people. Typically our events are, we can get about 40 to 50 in there on a weeknight. We'd love to meet you guys. That puts us on their radar. And so when they are in Dallas, the wheels can start turning and we can pull off an event. So you've got like, uh, if they say you're coming, you got like two weeks to like roll something out and get people together. <laughs> two weeks is about the perfect time. <laughs> two weeks is lucky. Yeah. 40 to 50. I think we were in that 10 range for, for when Pursuit Series did their, their Dallas Bourbon Club uh, talk. That was well. You you guys wanted a more intimate no, setting. I'm more, no, it was great. A more personal group. Well, what I loved about you guys is like we went in. I can't remember. It was, I think it was Bill's office, and you just had he had everything. And he's like, whatever anybody wants. You know, you are very like sharing, very hospitable. Hepicon Lodge. It was it was a very cool event. Oh, it was a lot of fun, and Bill knows how to put it on. That's for sure. Yeah, and so Jamar, I kind of want to push it over to you now because. How are you working with other distilleries and, and are you trying to do those same things where, uh, you know, if you're trying to have a, a Michter's in one day to try to talk about their products to your group or anything like that, or is it just more of a, a social kind of apps aspect of it? Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing that the Dallas club was talking about is that you kind of have these turnouts where you want to work with different brands and different distilleries, but it's kind of like, does anyone want the product? So we've had some situations where we've gone to distilleries, you go through this whole hour, and then you get to the tasting and you're kind of looking at each other like, why did we just spend an hour here? <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so that was another thing that kind of why we changed kind of our format for how we run the club. So we have a couple um, more ambassadors that we have good relationships with, like, you know, Bernie Lumbers, George Harrison's of Evan Williams. So when they typically will have products we will work with them and not so much um, reaching out to brands if that makes sense. So I mean, we're open to reach out to you. I mean, it'd be in a perfect world. I mean, it, it just depends on what it is. You know, when Mictors is getting ready to release a toast, it, you know, I'm going to send that email to, <laughs> you know, to Jamie and be like, hey, we need a tasting of this, but we, we have an event coming up. <laughs> yeah. But then there's like other products. It's like, do we really want a half an hour spill of that? And typically the membership doesn't. That's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand it. And I, I think it's, it, you know, it's it's twofold. Um, because, you know, anybody that is inside of Kobe, and, it, and if they're going there for more of a social aspect and try to be with other like-minded individuals like yourself, yeah, you get some of that more of that camaraderie, more of that like kind of fraternal feeling. And it's not to say that they can't also go and look at the Louisville Bourbon Society or whatever and, and go and try to do that that once a month kind of thing to go and, you know, keep education, kind of have a uh, keep face with, you know, somebody that is inside the industry and stuff like that too. 
uh, Jamal, I got a question for you. How many women do you guys have in your group? Because I'm just curious on that. Because I think that that's like a piece that I'm always focused on. And obviously, if if you're a um, like a, a black bourbon group, like that's your focus, your niche, your demographic. I'm really curious about that because it's changing up here in Cincinnati some, but I don't get a ton of exposure to other groups. So sorry, Kenny. No, so quite all right. Great, great question. question. So, so we, so we are much like you, we have less than 50 members. Um, so we don't necessarily focus so much on the aspect of, rec- of African-Americans and people of color being in. What we try to say is, is that, yeah, the thing we started this in 2017. I mean, this is Trayvon Martin. This is Sandra Bland. I mean, there was a lot going on in the world that not necessarily that we were not paying attention to it, but it was becoming a lot more, uh, you were seeing a lot more of it. So the, the, we wanted to put together more of a safe space and anyone that shows you have white male members, white females, all we want you to do is come in and, and be part of what our mission is. So, um, and we don't, and it's much like we don't want people joining because it's a niche. We don't want the member who wants to join the black club just because they want to be in the black club. You know, I mean, of course, you know, we, we're going to see race, but we are truly focused on, will you come to the club and help us build what our mission is? There you go. Everybody can apply. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, the more members, the better, but it's much in the sense of you get so big, then it's like, what can you really offer 200 members? What can you offer 300 members? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it c- kind of goes like, even bourbon women themselves. Like they've, they've said that, oh yeah, we recruit men as well into the organization. Yeah. Now Pete, they, you all have some women in the Dallas bourbon club, right? Yeah, we do. We've I think it's about a half dozen. So it's it's a growing number, but still it's pretty male dominated. And, and Todd, I guess that kind of goes back to you. I mean, what do you what are you seeing in your part of the world over there? Because we all know that, uh, you know, more females are getting into into bourbon and we want to try to make more inclusive environments for for everybody. Right. So, yeah, kind of talk about that. Um, so I might be in a, a just a really cool, unique position. So my wife works in the industry. Um, my wife works uh, for MGP. She is known as the Remus girl. So she does that that Remus portfolio. So that that MGP branded that, you know, we all think of the, the contract giant. She's basically a part of a startup. So it's really cool to have that in our household. And she's the better half as it is. But Molly Wellman is another well-known name that's here in Cincinnati um, that has has pioneered, whether it's cocktails, bourbon, um, getting more women into the, the spirit category. But I think we're sitting at maybe 95 of our annual members right now. I'm usually, I got to be at least 25 to 30 women. And they keep bringing friends because it's it's a, an, an experience. Um, and I always go back to this where it's that family feel, but nobody feels out of place in our group, which is really cool. You know, I think our youngest is 21. Our oldest is in their eighties and people that have been drinking whiskey longer than I've been alive. So a really cool demographic to be around, but we have a couple female groups here in Cincinnati. The bourbon women have a chapter. There's a 51% uh, chapter. So it's really cool that at least in this market, we definitely have that push of, of the ladies groups and they're awesome, like awesome, awesome groups. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, it, you kind of want to get away from an old boys club all the time, and you definitely want to, yeah, as I mentioned, kind of be more inclusive as much as possible. So I guess the the next logical thing we go to and trying to figure out exactly, I mean, we do it ourselves as a part of the Patreon community. We always look at what brings people together. It's the whiskey, and what even brings people more together, it's barrel picks. So kind of talk about, uh, well, we'll, or we'll start with Pete. people off. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's what we're going to start with, because I think that's the good hot topic, because, you know, Pete, you were able to kind of snag yourself a, an E.H. Taylor single barrel. And that's those are few, few and far between. So I guess kind of talk about a who'd you have to, you know, uh, really like grease their palm to make that happen. Uh, and then grease two, their palm. <laughs> but then the other side of this is, you know, when you are going through a liquor store and whether you, whether you're taking their allocation, how do you position that store and say, Hey, why don't you give us all your barrel picks? Like kind of, kind of talk about that. Yeah. It's so, free business, right? <laughs> well, I guess we'll start with the second question that we started a relationship with uh, a, a liquor store on the East side of Dallas called Lakewood Medallion. And he already had a 
pretty good allocation as it is. He's kind of in a weird neighborhood where he sells a lot of fine wine, but he also sells a lot of fireball. So he got so he got he gets an incredible allocation and we we worked with him on one barrel and that worked. He sold through it really quick and then another and then eventually, you know, he he bought in and and we've never had a problem working with him. So we are we're really it's truly turned into a, a an incredible partnership. So um, as long as we keep selling, uh, he's happy to do it because we're able to turn them pretty quick. The tailor kind of is comes from an evolution of that, right? So our first ever barrel pick was a Maker's Mark Private Select, and we thought we were we like we had made it, we did it, we got a barrel. You you did the eight hour, uh, <laughs> eight hour barrel tour. pick, <laughs> yeah. Well, did the eight hour barrel pick in the cave, and we turned around and sold and generated $5,000 for uh, the Dallas Fallen Officer Foundation. And so that, that kind of gave us some credibility with, with, within the industry, right? We weren't just a bunch of good old boys knocking back good bourbon. We were actually doing something with it. And um, we used that momentum to get a, a Blanton's barrel and did $10,000 to a local hospital for that. And then our pals at Buffalo Trace were like, okay, you guys aren't total idiots and dummies. And uh, we, were, we were so fortunate to get this one, and it's been phenomenal what, with what we've been able to do it with it and certainly in the time what's going on around the country. Do you think uh, a recipe for success there that people could try to copy is to say, yeah, we're just going to donate X amount on top of each bottle, and hopefully Buffalo Trace recognizes this and says, like, <laughs> well, definitely listening. Yeah. Networking always helps, right? And and just the things happen when you know people and you have a face-to-face relationship. So I'll start there and then I'll say, yeah, everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves that charity aspect of it. So, you know, you got to find the balance, right? You can't charge your member $300 for a bottle and take that premium and sell it to charity, but you can do a lot with just you know, a $50 margin over an entire barrel. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and, and not only, I think it's a, it's a very noble thing and it's a very easy thing to do, especially with something that has a, an attraction, you know, whether it's E.H. Taylor or even Four Roses or Will It Picks or anything like that, people are more than happy to pay over retail for that stuff and know that you can be able to take a lot of the money that is collected and, you know, put it towards a good cause. So I, I think it's a, it's an easy approach to make that happen. And make sure you have a CPA in your club. That helps too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just, we try to, it, that's the, always the weirdest thing is like, how does this money, money funnel into my bank account and back out? And it doesn't <laughs> look like I'm like laundering money here. Oh man. It's, and it's like, guys, no, liquor mention at all in the donation all right <laughs> no comment <laughs> no comment like in bold letters <laughs> it's like how many times we have to tell you all this? and they you know there's always right, somebody well, like said that said for the bourbon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but kenny dude that's that's uh when you were here in cincinnati for that event we did um God, I can't even think of the name of it now. The Edge. Bourbon on the Banks. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Kentucky's Edge. That's right. Yeah, we talked about that where, I mean, that's a frustration I have, and I have no problem being the asshole to say this. Like, I, it frustrates me that you have, that you almost now have a requirement of a charity bump just to get access. Um, I think the charity piece is great. Don't get me wrong on that. But it's it's frustrating where I feel bad charging people a hundred dollars for a single barrel four roses versus the whatever cost is. And maybe that's because five years ago we had five outlets for private barrels. And now in, in this little region I'm in, there's like 25. So it's, I mean, it's slim pickings here. It's so, so incredibly hard to get access. And if uh, a barrel comes in, if you're not at the liquor store that day and they send their email out, you're not getting it. It's gone within an hour. Yeah, I think I think you you do bring a good perspective because in especially with Jamar too. I mean, being in concentrated in Louisville and Cincinnati, there is a there is a large you know cons- people that are consumers. There's other spinoff groups, you know, other small little societies, and maybe they've got twenty five to fifty members, 
uh, you know, maybe they don't have a, you know, a charitable donation side. Maybe they don't have an education side. And it's just literally just a barrel picking group. And so they try to team up with a store and try to just, you know, suck everything that they can into it. And so there is, there is competition. There's local competition that you gotta, you gotta worry about. I can't even get into stores anymore. Um, it, it, that's kind of the crazy thing where um, my partnership is now with bars that have a package license that we can legally purchase from, right? And they're not going to go through 200 bottles or 160 bottles of a foolproof. So we'll, we can do a chop that way. That's that's the crazy thing here in the Cincinnati area. That's mine now. That's my avenue now into private barrels outside of just hoping that a relationship pays off and um, I can get my way in there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think a bar is going to be pretty hard pressed to sell uh, or even run through 135 bottles of 125 proof whiskey and cocktails. That's that's, that's going to be a tough yeah. one to swallow. Old fashions, <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, and so, Jamar, kind of talk about what Kobe does. Uh, I mean, are you? I know you've done Smooth Ambler before. Kind of talk about some other picks that you all have done. Um. So that's actually the only pick we've ever done. I mean, we looked at doing I think like a quarter barrel of the new roof pick when that was a thing. I mean, but our what I've tried to tell our group is, is that unless we're going to do a pick that is truly unique, and it's kind of much what Cincinnati Slum is that you can never really get to the unique bottle unless you're going to do all the kind of grunt bottles first. So for our group, it's like, you know, what are we going to do with XYZ before we can even get to an A bottle? So we've only done one. We're on a list for the O Forster Burl Proof. Um, but outside of that, I mean, we, we don't really look to do many barrel picks. Now, what we have done is something similar to what Cincinnati done is find a bar and try to buy like an allocation uh, for our group. And then there's a couple local bourbon groups that we're now building relationships with where we're saying when you go do a barrel pick, Kobe will buy X amount of bottles every single pick. And then when you do a Willie pick, you do a foolproof pick, then maybe we could get a larger allocation that because we've been helping you with uh, the Buffalo Trace pick, the Russell Reserve pick. So it's almost yeah, like just teaming help. up with groups. Yeah, help them run through inventory faster. Yeah, that's it. Dude, yeah. let's partner up. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I told Kenny that earlier. Like, this is this is my favorite part of the industry. Like, drinking whiskey is fun, but meeting people is awesome. Um, I've done a collab with the Paducah Society, a guy named Brian Shemwell awesome, awesome people. Like that's where I think it's so much more fun because you and I will meet in person. We'll see each other's personality. We'll see each other's palettes and, and share stories and then take that back to our members. And that's what I think really, that's what I think is necessary right now with all this stuff going on. There's, there's saturation. There's so many new people into the category and the market. And we see all these posts on our groups of the Weller special reserve, or they found a maker's pick, or they found this, that, some of us on here might look at like, eh, okay, cool. Awesome. But it's, it's really bringing those people together, you know, and like we get to know the individuals and um, we can, we can share stories. And that's what I think. I think this industry needs the most right now is getting back to old school storytelling, like the Jimmy and Eddie and, and um, Fred and Fred and, and Booker style stories of check this out. This happened this one time. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean these the the Facebook has definitely helped proliferate bourbon for sure. But you know, if you're just in these groups where it's like, look what I got, look what I got, it's like, okay, another picture of some guy's patio with a bottle I didn't get. And it's so repetitive, right? So having the these groups to actually be about relationships, events, putting faces to names, I think that's the key and the essence of a great group i mean my my group's facebook sucks like it's just yeah, not very it's, it's terrible <laughs> you're, you're honest yeah, you're the same. You? Well, it's just like i don't know nobody it's just not the most active thing and if that's the worst part of our organization then i i sleep pretty well at night because of that so nobody's going on there be like i got the new weller single barrel yeah, we get that, but it's just like, yeah, it hasn't turned no, into just, a fireball group. You just get Pete's reviews every week or something. Oh, it's like, you know? hey, come to my part of Dallas. I don't want to go 45 minutes to you. <laughs> that's true. But I, yeah, Dallas I totally agree. The, that's what's most fun about our barrel picks is just that, you know, the whiskey's great, but meeting everybody in person, you know, 
finding out their story, their background, like you're meeting so many different people from different regions of the country or, you know, different backgrounds. That's, that's what I most enjoy about this hobby is the people and yeah, barrel piss can do that for you as well. And I, and I believe, you know, as we kind of start wrapping up here, because we start looking at even what bourbon societies are doing and what your all's groups are doing is you are, you're trying to find like-minded individuals to kind of share and, and be a part of something bigger than just, you know, your home bar, right? You, you want to be able to take the opportunity, share it with, you know, new friends, uh, other enthusiasts, because we all know that you've got friends that come over that aren't enthusiasts and they're like, oh, I want, I want to try your pappy. And you're like, damn it. Like, no, don't. <laughs> Why? Just because you know the name, you know? So it, it's, it's definitely one of those things where it's, it's good to, you know, start kind of creating this sort of like fraternal atmosphere where people can really have an opportunity to kind of create new friendships and new bonds with, with other people as well. And especially in Dallas, you can find somebody hopefully in your neighborhood. So you're not have to drive 45 minutes everywhere to. Yeah. Dallas is, Dallas is big. You got to drive 45 minutes to work. <laughs> I mean, luckily there's podcasts like Bourbon Pursuit to get you through it. And that's why we like you, Pete. <laughs> but I think like, like podcasts like this and, and collaborations like this are what's going to keep this, the bourbon groups and the bourbon category going. But my, my selfish hope is that the distilleries see that we're kind of the foundation of keeping the momentum on this, because at some point rum's going to come into play. Um, Armagnac might come into play. Gin might get a reemergence, right? And if all these people that are either bottle chasing or they're chasing the trends leave, and we have all this production. God, I hope this happens that we start seeing age-stated bourbon back on on the shelves for, you know, like when Fred blew the Henry McKenna because of the San Francisco medal. That was my biggest gripe against him. Um, but like, I want to see the fact that distilleries recognize that we on this group right now, the people in the chat, we're the ones that are keeping the the momentum going on this. And I want us to be able to have access to the private barrel picks because we were doing it before it was was popular. We're still doing it and buying their shelf labels. So just keep keep us on your mind when this category starts to dip a little bit. Yeah. And I'll I'll throw out my prediction that we are we are now sub six years, maybe four years away until we actually start seeing a lot of stuff that's on the market because you've got great distilleries like New Riff and Finger Lakes and people like that that have a very good four-year profile and they're holding barrels back to actually release even older age-dated stuff. And then you've got even other craft distillers that are starting to come up the market. And then you've got, I mean, hell, you've got everybody in the big boys industry here that are putting down more and more and more and more barrels every single day. So here here in like two to three years, you're just going to have a a plethora of options of like really good stuff, I think. And it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I've said the days of Weller being at Farm and Seasel is like five years away. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I used yeah. to get my Weller 12s at right. Yeah. Eights. Yeah. That, that was my, my thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead. We'll start closing out. So I want to give you all each one more opportunity to again, kind of uh, tell people, you know, how they can find out more about your club or society and everything like that how they can join it and everything like that. So Jamar, I'll let you go first. Um, yeah. So our website is 502kobbe.com. Um, we only open up membership twice a year, September and February. Um, visit the website for information. And I really appreciate everyone's time and listening. Absolutely. And then uh, we'll, we'll let, we'll let uh, we'll Pete go here. All right. Well, thanks for having me again, gentlemen. Um, we are the Dallas Bourbon Club, dallasbourbonclub.com fill out the uh the questionnaire and we'll get right back to you <laughs> what's give me what's, what's the questionnaire what's, yeah you got what's on the questionnaire what's your name what's your email address and what's your favorite bourbon why do you want to join i would your fail those <laughs> 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 are four nice loaded questions if uh, it, it helps Dang, that's selection easy to get in there all right, Todd, I'll let you wrap it up for us. Thanks, um, so Bourbon Society of Greater Cincinnati. Um, I do keep our, our group, try to keep it local. But my email is todd at cincybourbon.com. And my website is not put together. So it's ironic I have an email for a website I still haven't built. But um, 
if you're in the greater Cincinnati area coming through, please contact me. And I want to make sure you check out our bars, our, our restaurants, and obviously our group if we can do it. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, I want to say thank you again for coming on tonight. It was again, it was just great to hear again how you everybody's doing something a little bit differently. I think, you know, Jamar and Pete and Todd, you all bring great aspects of just what your clubs and what your your groups are doing to kind of create again more of a, a bond within inside its members and also share education, you know, and have fun with whiskey at the end of the day. That's what it's all about. So make sure you yeah make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit on all the socials as well. And if you like the show, you want to help support us, patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. And if you were uh, a Patreon member, you could actually join and caught this episode going live uh, as it went through and also got to see some of the uh, the outtakes as people were dropping in and out. So uh, uh, AKA me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. It's okay. Not we a, weren't going to call you out, but you called yourself. Not out. a good co-host. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. So uh, with that, I want to say thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>